to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding This morning is out of James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26. And this can be found in the Blue Pew Bible in front of you on page 1012. And this is a great passage showing the connection between faith and works. Uh, It illustrates how committed God is to our sanctification. Um, And as we just sang... um, If thou hast drawn a thousand times, O Lord, draw me again. Our Lord is committed to drawing us to himself time and time again. So give ear, for this is the very word of God. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Let's pray for God's grace and wisdom as we uh, seek to open up this passage together. Let us pray. Lord, we long to exhibit in our lives true faith in Christ. We long to, Lord, rest in you more and more to know you more and more, to be filled and taste your glory more and more, to be more and more amazed at you, astonished 
at your greatness. We, we want to be like you, Lord. We, we want to manifest your goodness in all of our relationships and to manifest your grace in all that we do so that, as Paul says in Colossians 3, that whether we, whatever we do in word and deed, that we would do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would do all, Lord, in union with everything that you are, in union with all that you've accomplished for us, to make that name known, to make known the greatness of your salvation. Lord, we pray, bless us. Bless us to see Christ more clearly. Bless us to rest in you more deeply. And for some of us, Lord, draw us to believe in Christ for the first time, to see our need of his grace and his accomplishment on the cross. Bless us, oh, bless us by your Holy Spirit. We pray this, Lord, for your name's sake. Amen. One of the one of the great struggles that the people of God is I have encountered uh, the people of God over uh, thirty years of ministry. One of the great struggles is first to come to a place where you know that you're forgiven of your sins, to trust in Christ, to forgive your sins. And then there's an ongoing struggle with what do I do about sins that I still find in my life? And it is particularly difficult because part of our assurance of being His, belonging to Him, the assurance that we are forgiven is that we have an increasingly obedient life. So it, it, it seems, they seem sometimes to counter each other, that I'm to trust Christ alone to be saved to, and, and not to bring any works to the table. That is, when I'm approaching God in a relationship, when I want to be accepted by Him, I'm not bringing my goodness to Him. I'm not... You know, dealing out, these are all the things that I've accomplished, uh, and I hope that they will outweigh the bad that I've done and somehow atone for the bad I've done. We say, no, nothing that I've done, good or bad, plays any part at all in my approach to God and my being accepted by God. I'm only accepted by embracing what He has done for me in Jesus Christ. And so it's only Christ's accomplishment. It's only what Christ has done to die for my sins it's you've heard me give this illustration before, but it's as though we did or might put all of our works on the table, hoping that God would accept these, and He just sweeps them all off the table, and He puts before us the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and says, "Here, here is the way you would be accepted by Me." It has nothing to do with anything that you've ever done. It has everything to do with your faith in Jesus Christ. But when you get to Judgment Day, we are told that He will judge us according to our works. What do you do with that? How, how does that work? How, how do I only trust in Christ for my salvation and yet my life must give evidence that I've trusted in Him to such an extent that in Judgment Day I will be judged 
according to works. How does that work? Well, I don't know. I'll see you next week. No. As soon as I find out, no. Well, James 2 really gets at this issue, really is tackling this issue. And, and, and he goes at it so, uh, he goes at it so strongly, it seems, and has always been a struggle with the church, that his statement in verse 24 is absolutely contradictory to Paul's statement in Romans 3.28. Because, let me read the two side by side. Paul says, a man is justified by faith apart from works. James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. So we want to get at what was Paul writing about. In fact, we're going to go to another passage in Paul and see that Paul says almost exactly the same thing in the book of Romans that James does here. And so we'll see that the word justified can have different meanings, and it does here with James as well. So uh, we're going to try to tackle what James is getting at here And I want to say this, and this ties in with the title. Faith without works is not real faith. That's basically what he's getting at. Okay, Faith without works is not real faith because real faith does real stuff. Okay, It does. Real faith always does real stuff. Another way to put it is this. Faith without love is is not real faith because real faith always issues in real love. I think it's important when we think of the word works that we always associate that with love and mercy, especially in this context because James has been talking about that very thing. In the first chapter, he spoke against anger, mistreating each other in this way. He spoke of bridling your tongue so that it doesn't hurt others. That's an act of love, obviously. He talks in the first chapter about ministering to orphans and widows in their affliction. So love and mercy is prominent. He says true religion, which would be to say true faith, issues in these kinds of things. It is... Uh, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows. And then in the second chapter, as we've seen, he talks about a mistreatment of the poor and how that is not according to love. And he quotes uh, the great statement of love in Leviticus 19.18 in in chapter 2, verse 8, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to talk about mercy. So love and mercy... In so many of its applications, is what's in mind here for James when he speaks of works. So faith without works is not real faith. That is, faith without love is not real faith. Let's look at that first, and then we're going to look at the idea that faith uh, issues in real love. So he begins here in verse 14 
of course, by saying, if someone says he has faith, that's important. He doesn't say if someone has faith. If someone says he has faith, sometimes it's translated, if somebody claims that he has faith, but does not have works. Notice, can that faith save him? Obviously, the answer is no. And so, James would say, that is not saving faith. It's a claim to faith. It's a statement, I believe, but it's not saving faith. It's not real faith. And he actually says, uh, what good is it? He says that again uh, at the end of verse 16. What good is that? It's actually the same phrase. What good is it? What good is it? And good probably refers ultimately to judgment itself. What good is it? What good will it be in that day when you stand before God and say, I believed in Jesus, but your life declared otherwise, that you didn't believe in Jesus, that you didn't trust him, that you weren't broken by your sin and you didn't receive his mercy and you weren't transformed by that mercy to become a person who is merciful yourself. What good is it? If you just claim to believe, but you have no real faith. It's interesting that Jesus deals with exactly the same thing in Matthew 7 because he pictures Judgment Day for us. And some of you are familiar with this passage. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So the idea is, here are people that seem to be familiar with him, you know. To, that they think they know him, that they think they have a relationship with him. And so they come and say, Lord, Lord. And he says, not everyone who says this will enter the kingdom of heaven. The one who does the will of my father is the one who will enter into heaven. Now, the will of his Father is that we trust in his mercy and that we live out love in our lives. That we trust in his salvation and are transformed by that salvation so that we live out love. He says, even even on that day, many will say, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty things in your name. But I never knew you, he says. I never was intimate with you. We never had a real relationship. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. So Jesus is saying, what good is it? The same way with James. What good is it if you stand around and claim to do mighty things like uh, prophesying in his name and casting out demons in his name when there is no love in your life? What good is it? Claiming to have faith, but having no faith. Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, If I have the tongue, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then he says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, you're thinking, whoa, this guy's really full of faith. He's rich in faith. He's got more faith than I could ever imagine. And he says, but I have not love. 
I am nothing. Why? Because real faith, real faith will issue in real love always. Always. And so you can expand infinitely how great your, quote, faith is. Paul says, if I don't have love, I am nothing. Nothing. I have nothing. My faith is nothing if it doesn't issue in love. And that's why Paul um, James goes on to say here in verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works. In other words, to put it in Paul's language, faith by itself, if it does not have love, it is dead. And he repeats that at the end of this passage in verse 26. Faith without, apart from works is dead. Dead means like a corpse, right? It's kind of disgusting. It's like a dead corpse, lifeless, worthless. It doesn't have any existence, basically. There is no faith, whatever. And he goes on in verse 20 to say, and put it in a different way, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Okay, is useless. Now, it's interesting there, the, the word that he uses. We, we put A in front of words to say not, right? Like uh, asymptomatic, showing no symptoms of disease, or atheist, not a theist, not believing in God, or Ah, synopsis, failure of pairing of homologous chromosomes and meiosis. You know, that, that's one of the more familiar ones. <laughs> see, Dr. Burberry, I told you that didn't work. That didn't work. No, he did. <clears throat> well, see, the word for work that's used there in verse 20, works, is E-R-G-O-N. But this word useless is A-E-R-G-O-N. And the A and a E combined is so it's argon. Well... The point is, to translate it is, faith without works doesn't work. No work. It's idle. It's useless. Faith without works doesn't work. It has no good about it. And so in every way, he says in this passage, it has no good. It doesn't save. It is useless. It is dead. Can this workless, merciless faith save a person? No, because that is not faith. And then he describes how faith operates when he's talking about Abraham in uh, verse 21. How in verse 22 that faith is active along with his works. Faith was completed by his works. But before we get to that, his illustrations are striking. He, he really uses a ridiculous illustration in verses 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or sister comes to you, needs food and clothing, and you say, Go, be warmed, be filled. I took care of that. <laughs> I did it. What did you do? I told him to be filled. I told him to be warm. I did it. And it was spiritual because... I let God do it. You know, that kind of idea. And Paul says, that does, of course, absolutely nothing for the person. 
And he says, in the same way, if faith has no love, if it has no works, it does nothing and is nothing. Just like this, quote, help to this person is no help whatsoever. That's not help. And faith without works, that's not work. That's not faith. Faith always issues in love. It's as ridiculous to call this help to a person as it is to say, this is faith without love. No, no, it never has been and never will be. That's not faith. That's not how faith operates. And then he sets up this question in verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And I think the very best interpretation of this is because it seems like the person should say, you, James, have faith and uh, you, James, have works and I have faith. Likely, James is not speaking specifically about him, but it's a person who separates these two things. You have faith, I have works. Faith and works can be separate. It doesn't matter if you have faith. It doesn't matter if you have works. Faith or works. And so it's fine if I just have faith. See, that's the idea here. Faith without works is fine. And that's why he says, no, they're always joined together. You think that you'll show me your faith alone, but I will show you my faith by my works because they're always together. And then he challenges this idea of faith apart from works by saying, you believe that God is one. You do well. It's kind of sarcastic here, of course. Um, Even the demons believe that God is one. Uh, You believe that God is one. They believe that God exists as well. He's even using the great Jewish statement in Deuteronomy 6.4 that we've talked about some, uh, that God is one. So you believe this central statement of of Judaism. You believe that it's now a central statement of Christianity that God is one. And you don't doubt the existence of your opponent. Uh, Even the demons don't doubt the existence of their opponent. That's as far as you've gotten. Uh, If you just believe, if you just say, I believe in God, I'm no atheist, then you've been promoted to the demon class. That's as far as you've gotten. And likely you've not even made the demon class because demons believe and they shudder. They tremble at the thought of this God existing. You probably don't. You're in the sub-demon class. Okay? That's what faith without works is. It's sub-demon. Just saying, I believe there's a God. Because what matters is how I relate to this God. What do I think about this God? How do I trust this God and love this God and honor and praise and follow and obey this God? Faith is a whole relationship to God in which we entrust ourselves to this wonderful God that we're amazed at. That's what faith is. He's won our hearts because we see His beauty in Jesus Christ, that He's a God who would sacrifice Himself for us. And it wins us to Him. We we begin to love Him and admire Him. That's part of faith. 
And we really want to be like Him. We want to please Him because we admire Him. That's part of faith. Dan McCartney says, It's a life orientation, an ongoing disposition of faithfulness to God. And so, faith without works is not real faith. It does nothing. It does not save. It is useless. It is dead. But real faith, the kind of faith Abraham had, acts very differently. Notice what he says in verse 22. This faith, that faith was active along with his works. Faith was active along with his works. Now, the word active has as part of its root the word working. It was working with his works. And I want to relate another passage to you that's so close because it uses such similar terminology. And this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, where Paul describes the Christian life as this, it's faith working through love. Think how close that is. Faith working through love. Here he says, faith was active with his works, that is, his works of love. Faith was active, was working. So there's this energy in faith that issues in love, this, this working, this power in faith that by the very nature of its, of its existence has to issue in love. And he even says, faith was, verse 22, completed by his works. And the word here is the same word that is used to say that Scripture is completed. The prophecies are fulfilled or completed uh, in the New Testament, the Old Testament prophecies. And so this completion or fulfillment uh, of faith shows that the the purpose, the whole end in view of faith had its completion in his works. That is, the whole point of faith is that it finally issues in these works. So faith is completed by works. Not that it in itself was lacking, but that it always has this completed end, this, this accomplishment. Faith accomplishes love. And that's why Paul can say in Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. See the difference? Profess to know, I know God. I believe in God. I have a relationship with God. But something else says, no, you don't. Your works, your lack of love, your lack of the character that comes forth from faith, faith working through love, by your works you are denying Him. You're saying He is not a God of love. He is not a God to be trusted. He is not a God to be followed. He is not a God to give your life up to because obviously I haven't, even though I say I have. That's the feel of, of Titus 1.16. And in the same chapter in Galatians 5, when Paul says faith expresses itself through love, 
he goes on to talk about the works of the flesh, all anti-love, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, etc., envy, drunkenness, orgies, all of these things. He says, I warn you that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what happens when you trust in God? What happens when you believe and it issues in love? He goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what happens when you trust. Here's what happens when you believe. These kinds of things begin to uh, bear in your life. Love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and self-control and patience, gentleness and faithfulness. And so these, these are the, the flow, the, the natural overflow of the faith that we have in Him. Now, one of the difficulties in this passage is this word justification. And I'd like for you to turn with me to Romans chapter 2, where I think Paul uses the word justification in a very similar way. And hopefully this can help Pull the threads apart on these two words. So I think we get the general idea here that faith issues in love in in the life of Abraham. And later he goes on to talk about Rahab, uh, the prostitute, that her housing of the spies, her hospitality and love and mercy to them in the face of, with the possibility, uh, the, the threat of her own life in order to do that. That, that exhibited her belief, her faith in uh, this God, Yahweh. So both in Abraham's life and in Rahab's life, we see their faith exhibiting itself in their love. In Abraham's uh, sacrifice of Isaac and in Rahab's housing of the, uh, the spies. So both of them show by their uh, acts that they truly believed God. Well, in Romans chapter 2... Uh, Paul is talking about, he's really talking to uh, Jewish people who are critical of the Gentiles and think of themselves as having special privilege with God and that they're kind of off the hook in terms of really obeying God, that they are just Jews. They are the elect. They're the chosen ones of God. And so they can just let things slide. They don't have to really... Uh, bother with obedience. And so in that con- that's a very similar context to what is <clears throat> written in James of people saying, well, I believe, and so it doesn't really matter what I do. And for the Jews, yes, I believe, we belong to the commandments, we have all of these things, but Paul is driving the point home in chapter 2. It's not if you have these things or know these things. It's, it's if you live them out. And so he says uh, along those lines, verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. Verse 6, To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. You see, he puts the Jews up front. He 
He says, you think you're going to be off the hook. If you're disobedient, if you live a disobedient life to God, and it shows that you don't believe in this God, you will suffer His wrath along with the Gentiles. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, because God shows no partiality. And then notice, especially I want to get to verse 13, for all who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Why? Because it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, later, when Paul is talking about approaching a relationship to God, he says, your works have nothing to do with it. But here he's talking about in that final day, when you stand before God, it's not those who've heard the word, it's those who have done the word who will be declared God's righteous people. Now, what does he mean when he says in this particular circumstance, when we are declared God's righteous people in that day? It takes in the whole of the life of a believer. It takes in the fact that you are one who helplessly depended upon Jesus Christ for salvation. You're one who was broken over your sin and knew that you could not be saved outside the mercy of God. And so you trusted in the mercy of God as it was offered to you in Jesus Christ. And as you trusted in the mercy of God, you were amazed and astonished at the love of God. And you gratefully and gladly begin to give your life up to His will. And you begin to follow Him and obey Him and manifest His love. As you experienced His love, you begin to give that love away and show it in your life. Because later Paul says, the doer of the law is the one who loves. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so when he says those will be justified not just the hearers of the law, but those who do the law, he's taking it in that complete sense of tasting, experiencing, trusting in the mercy of God and a life of love that exhibits and shows itself in that trust. And that's how we can understand a passage like Matthew 25, verse 31, where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. And he doesn't say... Sheep are over here because you believed in me, didn't you? Yes. Goats are over here because you didn't believe in me. He doesn't say that. He says, the sheep are over here because they visited me when I was in prison. And they clothed me. And they fed me. And here are the goats. You're goats because you didn't do that. And he says, because my people were broken and and persecuted and put in prison. And my people showed themselves to be my people because they hazarded their own life and possessions by loving my imprisoned people and my destitute people. And they showed themselves that they really did trust me. They really did believe in me and put themselves in my hands and uh, followed me at the risk of their own lives. But you goats, you live for your own protection. You live for your own life. You wouldn't submit to me. You wouldn't give your life up for me. You didn't really trust me. You didn't really believe in me. See, that's how we have to... It's not just that, oh, you earned salvation because you did the right thing. You, you didn't earn salvation because you didn't do the right thing. It's that your life exhibited what you believed about me. 
don't see. That's why Jesus can say in Matthew 12, every careless word that a man shall speak, he shall give account of it in judgment day, for by your words you will be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. How can he say you'll be justified by your words? He means you'll be declared a righteous person, one who has trusted in Christ and begun to live out the life of Christ. Even your words will show that. Even your words will show it. And in that day you will be declared as one of mine. This this word justified in that context really means you'll be declared that you're one of mine. You'll be declared that you're the righteous one who trusts in God's mercy and lives out that mercy. And so for uh, James here, his, his whole point is that we truly, really trust in and we have real faith. He, he's, he's not trying to drive anyone uh, into guilt as much as he's trying to say, do you truly trust this God? Do you truly trust in Christ? And the application that I would have uh, for us is that we ask the Lord God to constantly show us the beauty and glory of Jesus. You, you might ask uh, how astonished am I? How amazed am I at the, at the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Is that work beginning to fade from view? Is that work becoming just something I shrug my shoulders at? Or by nurturing yourself on His Word and nurturing yourself on the work of Jesus as it's even previewed in the Old Testament and then fully displayed in the New Testament, are you gaining more and more love and devotion and joy in Him? See, I think, and, and we've, we've got this as our mission statement, nurturing one another, uh, nurturing each other in, in joy, nurturing each other in joy so that we will love one another and love God. And we are nurtured in that uh, by the gospel, by the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus. And so for... All of us, it should, when we see the disconnect, when we see that my life is not given to love, that it's not a joyful love, that it's not a passionate love, the, the problem is not, we'll just start loving more. The problem is, oh Lord, nurture me in the work of Jesus Christ. Nurture me in the person of Jesus Christ. It's to be filled more and more with the glory and beauty and wonder of Jesus. To trust Him, to delight in Him, uh, to be excited and astonished in Him. These are the things that drive us. And that's why Paul can say, it is the love of Christ that governs me. He says people think we're like beside ourselves because we work so hard, we slave, we suffer, we lose everything for Christ. We're counted as fools for Christ. He says, why do we do this? He says, here it is. It's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that governs us. And this love, we've so seen it in Him that we no longer live for ourselves. 
but we live for him because we really admire him. We really trust him. We really want to put our lives in his hands. We really want to be like him. We really want to make him known. And again, brothers and sisters, it will never be perfect. It will never be perfect. You can never have a day, an hour in your life that's perfect. But even as it was hinted in this, uh, in, in our own confession this morning, even our weaknesses are covered by the blood of Jesus. Even our sins are covered by Him. And the, the imperfection of our works, those are accepted by God because we're united with Christ. What this is after, though, is an attitude, a heart that refuses to spend itself for others. There is a red light. There is a red light. Do I trust in this Christ and admire this Christ who sacrificed himself for me and others if I don't manifest that same love to some degree and a growing degree? And be encouraged. This is the work that God intends to do in your life. This is his salvation, his salvation that he will bring about in your life to fix you more and more on the love of Christ and to cause love more and more to issue in your life. Let us pray. Lord, we must be rescued constantly. We must confess to you, Lord, even now, that we can be we, we can use grace, and we do use grace, as a shelter for our sin. Not in a good sense, but in a bad sense. We can use grace, Lord, as a way to back off and think that we don't have to give ourselves away to others because we're safe in your hands. And yet, Lord, to be safe in your hands means that we have a joy in you. We we have an amazement in you. And we so trust you and entrust our lives to you that we begin to give ourselves to others. It is faith. Faith issues in love. And Lord, we confess that this has broken down in so many ways in our lives. For some of us, perhaps it's the whole pattern of our lives. Perhaps for some who profess faith in Christ, they'd have to say, that's not just part of my life or something I struggle with. That's really the whole of my life. I, I don't spend myself for others. I, I just don't. No, oh, Lord, if this is the case, draw these to yourself. And draw all of us, Lord. For none of us has a perfect day in our life. But cause us, Lord, more and more to feast upon you. Make our times in your word rich and delightful. Overwhelm us with your goodness and greatness, Lord. May we go on to these safari hunts after the glory of God in your word. May we be so eager to do this, Lord. And may you show us your glory. We pray with Moses, show us your glory, O Lord. Especially as it is shown forth so wonderfully in Jesus Christ. And may we be able to say with Paul that... The love of Christ controls us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. 
Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?